The following contains adult language, content, and descriptions of actions not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Guru Presario Media presents the Guru Presario Podcast, starring me, Mal Sanchez. The word entrepreneur gets thrown around a lot, but it's defined by very few. Join me as I sit down with those that I've come to know, and through the art of conversation, we can all learn a little something from the nature of our work. Let's start the show. All right, what's up, guys? Another episode of the Guru Presario podcast here with my co-host, of course, Matt Duke of the Duke Law Firm. What's going on? We actually have my good friend, um, which I met in Manhattan, uh, Faraz. How do you pronounce your last name? Correct me if I'm wrong. It's Zadie or Zadie? Yeah. Zadie. Uh, Faraz Zadie. Yeah. Faraz you, got, Zadie. you got it. It's pretty pretty spot on. Good yeah. deal. So I have my great friend, Faraz Zadie, uh, Profound Company. If you haven't heard of Profound Company, put that in Google while we're on the uh, – we're on the stream here. Of course, we're not live streaming, but if you're watching this or listening to it, open another window. Google Profound Company. It's a it's a highly impactful company. I'm going to let Faraz introduce the company because there's a lot to be said about it, and then uh, we'll go from there. Faraz, I'm going to I'm going to let you have the mic, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me here, guys. Uh, it's a pleasure to have this conversation. My name is Faraz uh, Faraz Zaidi. I am the uh, founder and creative director uh, of a streetwear luxury clothing brand called Profound. We are based out of New York slash New Jersey. Uh, the brand was essentially um, birthed with the idea of creating storytelling through fashion uh, in a time where we felt like there, was, there wasn't a lot of important stories being told. There wasn't this sense of sort of uh, social responsibility. So everything we do is, is narrative based and it's around the intention to connect with the end consumer. Uh, whether that's around certain important things to us like sustainability or giving back to certain charities or just telling the, the very personal story of a first-generation American moving here from a, from a different country and sort of like adjusting to this new way of life in this new society. So I was born uh, in Pakistan and I moved here at the age of three with my family. So everything I am, everything I create is a reflection of where I come from, but it's also sort of this... Um, this narrative of adjusting to this new place that I call home. Amazing, brother. What's behind the vision, man? Uh, was it, were you trying to create a movement at time at the time and then it kind of turned into a fashion statement or what's, what was it first? Was it fashion first or was it the actual, you know, activist movement that you wanted to have in this? Yeah, it's funny enough. I've, I've always been into the idea of activism. And when, when we had initially started the brand in 2009, 2010, um, we had this sort of sub subtext to uh, the name, which said "Design for the Conscious Mind." So I've I've always been very much drawn to to philosophy and psychology and the human mind and the human condition, uh, and I've always had this deep interest in people. So we started the brand, and instead of this about me section or about us section on the website, there was a manifesto section, um, and the manifesto is something that I've seen in a lot of other charitable companies that have nonprofit. Um, we have a nonprofit organization where the intention is to give back to a certain amount of people or to give back to certain communities. So I think the, the idea was equally um, sort of born on the interest in fashion that I've always had. I've always loved clothing and art. Uh, I've always been very deeply drawn to, to music. 
Um, so I've combined all of my interests in that regard. And then also I've always been very much interested in giving back to communities uh, and building sort of timeless stories that, you know, you could tell throughout the next however many years and people could come back to it and they could revisit it and they could reconnect with it. So it was always this, it, the intention was always this uh, sort of like this duality of creating um, what I thought was very well designed, very well executed product. Uh, but also if, if there was someone that was, you know, that sort of cared enough to dig deeper beneath the surface, then they would find um, a lot of connective tissue there as well. I want to touch, I want to touch back to, you know, the vision and kind of, and where we met, right? So we, for Oz and I, we met, I was going up, I was staying at public at the time, New York Fashion Week, was this last year, two years ago? Two years, yeah. So I'm going up to the rooftop to, I mean, of course I'm by myself. I, I, it's been a long day. I just want to go up and have a drink. And these two gentlemen are at the elevator and they're like, Hey, are you going up? And then, uh, you and Walid. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm going up. And you guys were like, Hey, do you mind if we tag along? I was like, yeah, I literally have no friends right now. <laughs> like hanging out by myself. So you guys come up and we're up there and we're having a drink. And, you know, at this point I didn't, I didn't know, you know, you guys had profound company. I was just like, hey, these two guys are really cool, and they're hanging out, Let's and we're vibing. The next thing I notice is you guys are, like, talking about the models that are around. It's like, hey, didn't we work with that model before? And at this point, I'm like, who are these guys? <laughs> like, <laughs> who, who am I hanging out with right now? And you guys, I mean, I come to discover, you guys have a big hip-hop following. You guys have worked with some big models in um, in New York City and, I'm assuming, other places of the world, but... I want to go back to how how did you guys create that following? Because you, I mean, I had no idea, but you guys are you guys are big. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, no, that that's a good backstory to tell the people. Um, I mean, from the first time we met, we've always connected. I, I knew there was some sort of like uh, creativity that you had, and once you showed me your your work as well, I'm like, oh, this is this is a guy that I definitely need to keep in touch with. And like Thank we've you. been in touch since and we, we talk about ideas all the time and it's always, you know, it's, it's always good sort of bouncing ideas back and forth with you. So as, as far as the brand itself um, uh, and getting it onto certain people or, or sort of uh, building a following or. Um, I mean, you guys you know, have Justin Bieber, Rihanna. I'm reading the profile, <laughs> The Weeknd, yeah. Gigi Hadid. I mean, these are some big names. Yeah, I mean, Gigi, Gigi actually wore it about a month ago. Um, Amazing. And I, I sent it to her stylist, and I wrote a, a note with it um, about me loving horses. And what I had sent her was a horse puffer jacket and a, a cardigan sweater, actually similar to the one back there, but a different color. Um, and I wrote a note with it, and I said, hey, and like you were part of the muse for me designing this piece. And um, I grew up around a horse farm in New Jersey, and I know that you love horses, and I feel like you'd, you'd connect with this piece as much as I you know, enjoyed developing it, I feel like you'd appreciate it as well. So there's always like everything I do or everything I uh, attempt to do, I try to add a layer of connectivity, a layer of storytelling with it. And that just comes from sort of a genuine place. I, I, I think the world has enough product. I, the world has enough, you know, there's enough clothing brands out there. Um, and I think the ones that truly stand out are the ones that sort of have a message attached to it. But like every, every celebrity that we've ever gotten on, every... Um, influencer it's always been organic we haven't done any any paid product placements there hasn't been any uh marketing budget that's been associated with getting the product on certain people it's always been very like hey this is you know i think this jacket 
is something you'd like, or I think you you would like these pairs of this pair of jeans. And then more often than not, um, they end up liking the product. They end up wearing it and just supporting it, just out of uh, you know, just out of their genuine nature. It's amazing, man. That's so crazy how that happens organically, which is yeah. kind of the philosophy I think is authentic and organic is always best. Yeah, absolutely. What was it like growing up uh, being an entrepreneur? I know you come from, I mean, me being Mexican, um, Mexican-American, my parents were very conservative. I know the last time we spoke, you come from a, a from a similar background of conservative parents. I, would you agree? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because generally I think our culture and our religion is, is viewed as more or less conservative because of you know, Pakistan being an Islamic society and uh, the media sort of portraying it in a certain light. Uh, truth be told, you know, there are, there, there are some people that are conservative. There are some people that are more, a bit more liberal. Um, and there's a pretty wide spectrum of that. I luckily with, you know, um, what I like to call privilege is, is I ended up on the spectrum where my parents were extremely open-minded. Um, and they didn't sort of pressure or force me to pursue a more structured career, like uh, being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, which a lot of South Asians, truthfully, um, a lot of South Asian kids growing up in America, they, they, you know, their parents sort of pressure them to be, um, you know, something that has a bit, to pursue something that has a bit more stability and has a, there's a, a stronger base underneath you once you graduate college. And I went to school for art and I told my, my parents I want to pursue fashion and graphic design and, uh, they said, as long as you love it, then go for it. And it's very, it's a very fortunate situation that I had, which a lot of other people cannot relate to. So, um, I think in that sense, it was the luck of the draw. I think I, if I had parents that were like, Hey, no, you got to do like, you got to major in biology or you have to do political science or you have to do this or that, then, um, I may or may not have gotten pressured into doing that. And my life would have looked, you know, entirely different than it is today. So yes, yeah, so it's, it's like, um, they, they were conservative in certain ways, but they were also uh, very, very open-minded in other ways. My, my dad sort of had a, he grew up loving music. Uh, he went to school in Kansas City. He moved to America at a very, very early age. So um, he was a part of this like, you know, Woodstock hippie culture. And he used to wear bell-bottom jeans and like, like he had, he had like those rock star sideburns. And, <laughs> you know, so a lot of, a lot of the culture that he uh, embodied in America was, um, subconsciously passed down to us and I grew up seeing photographs of him and like going to college in a suit and you know hanging out with 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 women that went to the college as well and I'm like oh this like this dude was super cool like you know so like my 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 mental image of what I what I thought a Pakistani father was uh through seeing other Pakistani fathers my dad was a sort of a deep contrast to that nice uh and my mother my mother was always an empath like she she was uh you know she was she was devoted her entire existence to her kids uh, and she sort of showcased the importance of love and empathy and compassion. So a lot of what I am is, is, the, is the combination of my mom uh, and my dad. And a lot of that ends up becoming a part of my art practice and my creations and my work. How do you feel that creation, man? You guys are constantly innovating. You, you, you adapt to the times very well. I know when the pandemic first hit, uh, you and I had a conversation, I think, over Instagram and you had, you know, told me how you guys are shifting the focus to producing masks, of course, to keep others safe, but keep them styled up. I mean, you guys, your masks were in GQ, what month, maybe like four months ago, right? They were featured in GQ. What keeps you innovating like that, man, where you're, where you're constantly moving? 
Uh, so honestly, man, like, uh, like innovation is a, is a form, like innovation often comes from necessity. So we were in a position where early, early pandemic, uh, we had worked the entire year prior to get into certain stores. Uh, and we had chased buyers and we had created collections and showcase collections and a lot of the sort of legwork that we had to do to get into the Saks Fifth Aves and the Neiman Marcuses and the Nordstrom's of the world. Uh, it all came crashing down once the pandemic happened. All of the orders that we had got canceled. Wow. So then um, we had to really uh, figure out how to pivot to doing the next thing. So I, I came across an article one day sitting at my computer while I was quarantined uh, in central New Jersey. And the article said that the general public is now recommended to wear cotton face masks instead of like the, the N95s and, and the medical stuff that they were wearing prior. So the article is from the CDC and I'm like, oh, this is, there's an opportunity here. Like our factories work with cotton. They do cut and sew. Maybe I could. And these were factories that were, you know, they were shut down for a few months and they had just reopened. Uh, so the factory that does our, our hoodies and our, our jeans and our T-shirts and I, I reached out to them and I said, hey, I know you don't do face masks, but. Like, could you try this out? Like, could you use this fabric? Could you do the, do it with this design? Uh, and let me get a sample of this. So they, they created a sample two weeks later. They sent it out to me. Uh, we approved the samples, uh, created an entire campaign around it, which we were uh, in partnership with International Refugee Committee, which they were giving back um, uh, funds and face masks to people in overpopulated, often neglected communities, uh, such as Africa, and uh, the refugees there were being helped out. So we attached that um, nonprofit campaign to the release of the face masks. And a lot of the publications that caught wind of it ended up covering it from Vogue to GQ to Esquire um, to a number of other publications. So that sort of put it out on the forefront. And we were one of the first sort of companies that were also doing it. It was at a time where we, I was, I was kind of, I was sitting on my computer. I'm like, man, I don't know if I should put these out because um, I don't know, I, it might be too soon. Like there was a sensitivity around the pandemic at that point where people are like, oh, you're trying to like profit off of this thing. Like, like this is, um, it's a world crisis going on and you guys are trying to, to make money off of it. And that wasn't at all the intention. The intention was to like, hey, we need to pivot this business to a different direction. Uh, the world is in absolute turmoil at this point. We need to figure out how to assist and, and how to help people. Uh, and I had access, to me, my, myself along with my team, we had access to uh, certain relationships that we had overseas with factories and with production. So we were able to churn out thousands and thousands of masks uh, a lot quicker than most other people because um, we had a 10 plus year experience with certain factories that we were working with. So uh, any design that we had sent over, you know, they, they, they created a sample and they sent it back and they gave us a bulk supply within two weeks. So the efficiencies that we had created around the brand um, were super helpful with once we switched to face masks. And mind you, it wasn't entirely just face masks that we were doing. It was just a part of the brand. But that, like I always say, like um, like 2020 sort of prime, prime pandemic was the point in time where our brand really, really took off. Uh, and in, in an unfortunate way, obviously, it was, it was a pandemic and a lot of people were going through a lot of different things and small businesses were shutting down and a lot of my personal friends lost jobs. So it was a very, very painful time for many people. Um, but oddly enough, it was, a, it was sort of a, a, a revelation for us in the sense where like, oh, I, I totally understood the possibility of the company that we had and the potential that we had in order to get, um, in order to scale it 
very, very quickly. So a lot of the customers that were being brought in through just seeing the face masks online didn't even know that we had a full-on clothing line. So they're like, oh, I like, I like these masks, but oh, these guys have jeans and they have hoodies and they have jackets and they have, they have this entire spectrum of clothing, which I had no idea. So it brought in this entirely new customer base to our brand. Um, and then all of these customers that came on for face masks are still with us. And now what, when we drop collections or we're, when we release campaigns, the, the auditorium of people is a lot larger, so to speak, um, because we've been able to acquire this, this bigger audience. Um, but all, it, it all comes back down to um, sort of finding the right cultural moment where there is a certain amount of necessity that's needed through a product. That product solves a problem. It gives people a face mask when, in a time where they need face masks. Number two, it adds a fashion element where it's like it's a better looking, better quality face mask. So people are, aren't, um, they're not hesitant to pay a couple bucks extra for it. Number three, they know their money is going to a good place. Uh, and a lot of the proceeds that we uh, acquired through the sales of the face mask, we gave back to um, local hospitals and health centers that needed N95s and K95s. So, right. and then so at a, a certain point, like, um, I just felt like we were a, like a medical company because we like released hand sanitizer. Uh, we released a whole like collection of face masks. We released like this little, um, uh, doorknob opener that's essentially like this disinfected thing so you don't have to physically touch the the door handle it kind of like touches it for you and all of these were like born out of the necessity of the time that we were in and and the pandemic was interesting i mean i'm sure for you guys as well like it's like personally it was a good time to sit and recalibrate and just figure things out um figure your own self out and figure your business out figure your your creation out and and just have a lot of time to think about where you want to take things in the next however many years. So there is obviously a, a lot of um, negative that, that came from it for a lot of people. Uh, for me personally, I, I found, uh, I found some positivity in it as well. You, you've mentioned a lot about the social entrepreneurism, <clears throat> you know, how, explain a little bit more about how y'all do that. Cause you know, Tom's, which by the way, I think I read something, this week or last week, they're no longer doing the buy one get one. Yeah, are you serious? Yeah, like Mikoski, right? Yeah, I mean that was kind of the big uh, forefront of uh, social entrepreneurism. You know, the buy one give one, and uh, and again, I think that they became they lost their way a little bit. Maybe wrong on that. Pretty sure I'm not though. But anyway, explain a little bit more about what you're doing because what it sounds like you're doing is you've got a variety of 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 an of activist type uh, organizations you're dealing with or social um, organizations, how do y'all make those decisions? And does that tie into your overall vision for your fashion at that time? Or is, or is that pretty consistent um, for your brand? Like, how do you make those kind of decisions? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think, I think phase one of everything that we do is, is the, is the decision of why this thing is necessary to exist in the world. Um, and uh, again, a product is just a product. And if it doesn't have uh, more value to it, or if it's, an, if it's, an, if it's not helping someone uh, on the other line, then it's sort of like it has no reason for it to exist. And not, any charity that we partner with, um, it has to come from a genuine place of it making sense. Whereas like, um, I see a lot of other companies that um, sort of are 
like the Tom's model that you mentioned, which is a brilliant model at the time. Um, but a lot of other companies sort of copy and pasted that same model. And then it became oversaturated to the point where it's like, oh, it's just, it's just another one of those. And it didn't seem like, and there was also like a lot of ambiguity. There's a, often a lot of ambiguity around where the funds are going or where the profits end up. So there became this overall distrust um, with brands and consumers where people were a bit more reluctant to put their money down to buy a product that, you know, there wasn't a lot of clarity to where the money was going. Uh, so when we had released our face mask campaign, I, we had put um, very specifically three bullet points of exactly where it's going to. Um, and there was no sort of gray area. There was no, um, there, was no, there were no questions raised around where the funds are going. So I think once people had that transparency and once they knew that there was a very, very specific cause, then they felt a lot better about committing to that cause. And we had right a, a couple months prior to, uh, uh, to the pandemic, we partnered with uh, um, Islamic uh, society uh, charity, which we had did a Yemen campaign for kids in uh, refugees in Yemen, where we designed a small capsule collection of a t-shirt, a hat, and a tote bag, and 100% of proceeds helped kids in Yemen. Uh, and then a lot of the protests that were happening during the pandemic um, with you know the, the, the racial injustice that was occurring in America, we did a few campaigns around that. So it's sort of like it, it, a lot of the stuff that we do comes from the urgency of what's happening in culture uh, and the necessity of, um, of where we feel our time and energy is best invested into. So, and there are other campaigns in the, on, on, that we have on the back burner that we're just waiting for the right time for, for that thing to make the most sense in. Um, but yeah, I think like for us, it's always been, um, it's always been um, finding a reason for, for a collection to exist and, and adding a bit of a layer of depth to it. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's not, you know, it, it, there isn't a direct charity that we're partnered with. Sometimes it's just like, you know, it's just um, selling a collection just for the sake of it being very, uh, very useful for our consumers in, in terms of it solving a problem. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a few different ways that we go about why we create collections, but oftentimes it does lead back to uh, this responsibility of, of you know creating something that echoes out that has a larger purpose and a larger meaning, and it's it has this uh, this sense of timelessness, and it's not just chasing a trend, uh, and it's not it's not sort of just like fashion for fashion's sake, as I like to say. Um, it's, it's storytelling, it's, it's, it's charity, it's, it's also fashion, but it's, 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 a, it's a lot more than that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of layers to it. Um, and the interesting thing is like some people just want a pair of jeans uh, and they're just like, okay, yeah, these fit well, these look good, they're, they're priced pretty, pretty decently, let me, let me go for these. Whereas someone else on the other end of the spectrum will be like, oh, I love this story, like this, this thing really connects to me. So you have a wide gamut of people that are either into it for the story, into it for the product, or like myself, I like I enjoy both. You know, I love fashion, I love luxury, uh, I love product, I love things that have functionality to them. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, some things I buy just because I like how they look, but other things, it's like, okay, this helps someone somewhere, so let me get this as well. Well, and I congratulate you too, is because when you were giving all the examples of why people buy your product and why you do what you do, you never said that you were in it for the marketing part, which a lot of social entrepreneurism, I will tell you, 
not all of it, but a big chunk of it, they see it as a hook, a marketing hook um, to be able to, to push a product, right? And you, you, you've made that clear that this is not, you know, about a product. It's about the fashion and it's about the movement and it's about your, the you know, your organization, your message versus, you know, marketing, which is fantastic. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you so much. And at the end of the day, um, we're not curing cancer. We're not creating something that's so drastically impactful to the world uh, that ends up changing the world. Like it's just, like we're making clothing, we're making product, we're providing solutions for people, um, but we're doing as much as we can do as a fashion brand, which might be in some people's eyes it might be very little, in some people's eyes it might be it might be a lot. Um, but hopefully going into the future, I would like to do more and more of that because that's honestly what feels the best to me and my team. Um, and it's just like, once you release something that has a bit more weight to it, it's, it's a much better feeling overall. I want to go, I want to go down the path of you as an individual for us, um, yeah. as a social entrepreneur, I think it's important to stay in tune with one, of course, the times, um, but twofold is where you guys are going. What, what's, what's daily practice for you? I know right now you're in Ramadan, um, but what's daily practice for you to really understand, you know, where you're taking the company and, and where, you know, where you guys want to be five to 10 years from now? Yeah, the goal, the goal for us as a, as a company is to be uh, world recognized uh, for creating excellent product and for creating social impact. Uh, each collection for us is a chapter to the overall story and I, I don't know at what point that story is going to end or if it ever will end um, but I like I would like for it to be sort of this continuous evolution of us being um, uh, us sort of like refining ourselves as people personally and professionally and the, and the brand naturally reflecting that who I was last year who I was five years ago I, I'm still the same person today but I'm a, I'm a more refined version of that um, so the brand sort of also reflects that in a very natural state. Like I, I, I know how to pick fabrics better now. I know, I know, uh, I know how to work around better craftsmanship and find better factories. I know how to tell better, better stories now. And I'm always, um, I consider myself a student, um, of life and I, I have a deep passion for learning, maybe not like academic institutionalized, institutionalized learning, but more so just like, like finding a way to learn something somehow, some way, um, and I've always appreciated the idea of being self-taught in certain ways. And I, I have a, an education in um, uh, business and design as well. But most of the things that I've learned have been through conversations with people or through watching others or through certain relationships that I have or through just like doing it on my own or like YouTube University, just hopping online, Googling stuff and just like figuring out a way to like, you know, just like finding the best um, way to do something in the quickest way possible because the resources nowadays are like dude they're like way different now than they were you know a right. couple of years back it's like a, it's like an insane amount of stuff out there on the internet that's just like it's like shit we gotta we gotta tap into this like we gotta like like there's there's a absolute immense amount of knowledge uh and skill that we could we could develop through just like spending an hour a day like learning something um, and I, I'm not at the point where I'm spending an hour a day learning directly, but I may be indirectly learning through all that I'm doing. Um, but yeah, the overall, the overall goal is, is to kind of, uh, continue to tell these stories, continue to impact people, uh, continue to, to allow for fashion to 
carry carry the weight that it should in terms of it being this huge um, cultural force. And I and I think like there's two major cultural forces: music and fashion. And I I was I was always like deeply interested in music, but I I could never sing or rap. And if I could, I probably honestly would be a musician. But and I, I think like like telling the same sort of stories through fashion is it's equally impactful for people. Like, and I've always been like also interested in like the next generation of kids that are coming up and and like trying to carve their path out and coming from where I come from, sort of a village in Pakistan and, and moving here. It's like um, the American dream is something that, you know, I grew up seeing and I grew up hearing about. And my dad was also an entrepreneur. Um, he had a construction company. Uh, once he graduated college in Kansas City, he moved to, he moved the family to New Jersey. He started a company with one of my uncles. Uh, and I remember just being a kid waking up to him being in his home office, just making phone calls and, um, you know, talking to people on the phone and having meetings and just like doing his own thing and then figuring out his own path. Um, so that path, I guess, is a, like as, as kids and my, my siblings and I are very similar in this aspect where um, we're kind of just like we're, we're natural born, born entrepreneurs. Um, and then maybe that's a reflection of seeing what we saw with our father. Maybe it's um, understanding that we're in the land of opportunity and you know if you can't make it here you can't make it anywhere sort of thing like it's there's a lot of like it's it's like you know i feel that that's a gift and a privilege for us to even have been brought here from a, a country that was a lot more difficult to progress in um so yeah there's like sort of the book is it's like the chapters are ever evolving and it's all this continuous uh narrative that we're developing amazing is there a component of uh, meditation to, because I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, as a creative yourself, I have a million ideas that always come through my head, right? And at times you have to meditate on them and really yeah. decide, okay, what am I going to focus on? What do you do to, to, you know, when you're getting a million ideas to choose one? Oh, that's difficult, man. I, I, I'm still struggling through that. Um, but I think now, uh, in terms of developing a collection or putting something together, it's always uh, a lot of it's data driven now. I, I think I, I know what has done well in the past for us. So I, I figure out a way to find this uh, medium between creating something entirely new and different, but also working with the data that I have of the stuff that's performed successfully in the past. So it's like a 50% risk, 50%. I know, I know where this is going sort of thing. Um, in terms of personal meditation, I mean, I, it's Ramadan right now. I've, I've been praying five times a day. Um, it's sort of, uh, something that's very, um, it's very grounding. Uh, you get to sit with yourself for a certain amount of time throughout the day. Uh, I spend a portion of my week in New York city, a portion of it in New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey for me is a good time to sit and focus, spend time with family spend time with my nephews, go to my office just like sit and work and stay focused. New York for me is the contrast or the opposite of that where there's always a lot going on here. The streets are busy. There's a lot of um, sort of like I'm living here at the, the epicenter of fashion. So uh, I meet people, I take meetings, I show buyers the collection. Uh, so I'm fortunate enough to find myself in a, in a situation where I'm able to spend time in the farms of New Jersey and the other half uh, um, in the best part of the city. Um, and again, I say that with, with the utmost understanding that there are a lot of people that, um, don't have the ability to do that. 
um, especially with, with quarantine and with Corona, it's like, you know, a lot of people have been um, very much sort of uh, locked inside of apartments or houses where, you know, they don't have the, the ability to go out and do different things and go to different places. So a lot of my sanity, so to speak, comes from putting myself in different environments just for long enough to know that, you know, that's that environment served its course and now I have to go to a different environment. But I'm, I'm overall at peace anywhere I go if I find, you know, if I find the time to just sit and think. I'm, I'm naturally more so an introverted person, to be completely honest. So that's why the, the pandemic for me was like, it wasn't too, too, too different than what I was used to. Whereas a lot of the, the friends that I have, they're extroverts that I know, they're like used to going out and partying and, and you know, being very social. For me, it's like, oh, I get to sit and work. Like, this is my zone. Like, you know, this is kind of like, this is like stuff that I've been like craving to like, eliminate all distractions and just be able to sit down and design or sit down and like work on stuff. So once the world reopens, so to speak, it's like, all right, what do I like, you know, how do I adjust to this now? Like, and you're, you know, and you're, you're, you're streaming right now from you're in the city right now, right? You're in Soho. Yeah. How, yeah, yeah. how is city life right now, man? How are things changing in New York compared to three months ago, four months ago? <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, the city is starting to sort of come back to, uh, I don't know if I should use the word normal because it's still far from normal, but I feel like it's, 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 a, it's a lot better than it was previously. A large part of that is due to just like uh, the weather being better. Um, but as far as small businesses, dude, like a lot of them shut down. Some of the restaurants that I used to frequent are no longer there. Um, a, a few blocks over from Soho, you walked through Little Italy, Chinatown, half of the restaurants are shut down. Wow. Um, wow. And I guess I'm like somewhat in a bubble here in Soho because like the luxury stores that are around are still open and people are still shopping in them, but the smaller mom and pop shops a few blocks over are not doing so well. So it's the, it, like it, it, it hints at the uh, sort of like the, uh, the unfairness of uh, what's happening now and then how, you know, it's, it's survival of the fittest. It's very difficult for some people to sustain and it's, it's a bit easier for other people to get through it. Um, but yeah, New York is, it's starting to come back, man. Like once the vaccine happened and like, I got my second dose a month ago or three weeks ago. So I've been a little bit more comfortable in terms of stepping outside and, right. um, like eating out in restaurants and stuff like that. Um, but I still have, like, I still try to maintain a certain level of, uh, cautiousness and responsibility and, you know, understanding that, um, like the world is still in a, in this wild place and, we're not like entirely out of it yet, you know. Right. We're almost there, man. We're almost there. Yeah. I hope, uh, man. You, you mentioned little, a lot of the restaurants in Little Italy closed. There's this restaurant. I don't know if you've been to Umberto's Clan House, but one of my favorite restaurants in Little Italy. I hope they, uh, I hope they're still open. Oh, I hope so, man. I, I have not been there, but next time you're in the city, you know where we're going. Oh yeah, I'll be up there in a few months for sure, Matt. Nice, um, nice. Anything to say, brother? Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about, um, I guess, the early history of Profound. I'm always fascinated. Um, you know, I talk with a lot of, of entrepreneurs that are in your spot, right? They've, they've hit that pivotal moment and, you know, what looks like, uh, oh, it was so easy to do when they start to tell some stories about the, the, the not the good old days, but just the old days and, and what they yeah. had to go through to persevere and for that hustle. Got any of those good stories for us? I mean, take us back to 2009, maybe 2008, 
tell, you know, share some of that struggle that I know you've been through. Um, yeah, there's, it. there's so many stories of, uh, of struggle. So, so, uh, I grew up in a small town in central New Jersey called Manalapan. Uh, and I had a small bedroom that I was sharing with two siblings and I had a little old wooden desk in the center of two beds. And, uh, I remember growing up not being able to afford a iMac. And then my sister eventually put together enough money to purchase one for me as a gift, as a, as a surprise. Uh, and she was like, Hey, this is, this is the tool, like learn how to use it, learn how to design, like do your thing. This is like, and she's also like, she said to me that like, this is, there's a responsibility that comes with this. Like, I want you to like turn this into something. Um, and growing up, I've always had a mutual interest in music fashion with, uh, my siblings and my cousins. So myself, my sister, Aram, my cousin, Abil, uh, sat down one day and we decided to, create this brand and honestly like, man we didn't we didn't know what we were doing um we didn't know where it was going i just knew that i had a, a knack for for design and i i loved um i loved product and clothing and fashion so yeah nabil and i would sit down in my in my small tiny bedroom in jersey dude like for hours and hours and hours just like learning photoshop and like learning how to use like certain tools in photoshop and um understanding how to like um like grab a t-shirt like a white t-shirt from google import it into photoshop and put a design on it right. and then and then like run like run to walmart uh buy transfer paper get like a 60 dollar lexmark printer and like print out the print out the design and like iron it like physically iron it onto a t-shirt and then just wear it to school the next day and like that's kind of like the the, the very early phases of it and kids would be like oh that's a that's a cool t i think like the very very first t-shirt was a uh, a lyric from one of my favorite rappers at the time, Nas. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and, and uh, like it was, a, it was like a lyric from his song and I wore it to school and like the t and I think it had like some profanity on it. The teachers were like, you can't wear that. But like a lot of the kids were like, yo, that's dope. Like, you know, um, but then it just became, and, and a lot of what we end up pursuing in life is like there's a certain level of validation that comes with it. So like wearing something or designing something and, and having your peers and your friends and your family sort of, validate it and say oh, that's cool like it kind of as a kid it builds up builds up your confidence enough to the point where you're able to to believe in yourself enough to do it and I, I i grew up with like mom and dad that was like any piece of art that i ever made like my mom would take it and put it on the refrigerator and even if it sucked which nine out of ten times did like she would put it on the refrigerator and she would like like she would like express this feeling of being proud um but yeah early phases like as soon as graduating uh as soon as i graduated college uh, we started the brand, uh, we created our own Shopify or this is actually, this was pre Shopify. Um, this was another platform that we found that we created a website off of. Uh, and then we like shot our own photos, made our own content, uh, found a silkscreen printer in South Jersey in a town called Lakewood. This dude was just like printing stuff out of his garage, um, and made a collection of three t-shirts, brought it to him and said, Hey, can you like, what's the absolute minimum you could do on these? He's like, man, I can't do anything less than 24 tees per design. I'm like, damn, how are we going to sell 24 tees? Like, you know, so I'm like, we kind of just had to take that risk. And I like, there, I didn't have money back then. My family didn't have a lot of money either. So everything that I had, I had to invest in this, uh, printing these t-shirts and like, you know, putting all my time and energy into like building a website and launching it. Um, it's funny you say 24 And just like tees sitting and waiting for people to come and buy something. And eventually we got one sale like 48 hours later. <laughs> 
it's funny uh, you and say- then uh i realized that sill was from one of my cousins in california so i'm like oh damn <laughs> bros was it was it that hard to sell 24 t's back then what was that was it that hard to sell 24 t's back then uh it was hard, dude. It was it, because it was like it was. There was like no one knew who we were. We were, we were non-existent. Um, there wasn't any marketing. There was no Facebook ads. There was no like digital marketing. Uh, there was no influencers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like you, you just get, had to. You just, you you just it, had then? to. Yeah, you just had to build a website. Yeah. Uh, from thin air and just just like cross your fingers and hope that people would come, <laughs> um, and it would have to. And this is like 2010 ish, 11 maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then you would have to like, you know, uh, just bank on word of mouth and one person tells another person and eventually becomes like a thing. But the, I think the real key point to what we were doing back then, the, uh, um, the real story to tell here, which I, I think could be useful for a lot of other people that are listening in, uh, is like, like taking something that's like typically exists in the digital space and bringing it to real life. So we brought, like there was this bear logo that we had. Uh, the company logo was a teddy bear, um, a teddy bear's head with a bow tie. Um, so we printed, my sister had a job at Toshiba. So she was able to access the printer after hours. Um, and uh, we got a bunch of stickers made and a bunch of flyers made. Um, and I had just, I think it was my last year at Rutgers University in Central Jersey, or I had just graduated. So we had a, like thousands of stickers, thousands of flyers, and it just had a photo, a picture of the bear on it and nothing else, no text, no website. Um, there was no other information on the sticker, just a plain white sticker with a bear on it. And we blasted this entire thing all over campus at Rutgers University. We put it on stop signs. We put it all over walls. Um, and then eventually became a case study for a marketing class that one of my friends was taking. And she was sitting in class, and she, she sent me a photo of the professor like having uh, a photo of our stickers on the slide in the back saying, Hey, this is like guerrilla marketing and how to take this from this, how to take something from the streets to the internet. And what that did was it like, since there was no text, there was no website. It created a lot of conversation. Kids around campus were like, what is that bear that's everywhere? Like, do you know what that bear is? Like, do you know what that is? So it created like this curiosity and curiosity often leads to conversation where people yeah. just ask questions. So then it just became this huge like mystery around what this thing is. Uh, people started talking about it on campus and that was the school that I went to. So it's like, it kind of grew there and it developed into this thing. Uh, and then word of mouth extended for the next three years. And then we started to get more into the digital space and, uh, and Instagram and Twitter and uh, Tumblr and Pinterest and all those sorts of things came into play. So each one of these had an effect uh, or an impact in growing the brand, but early, early, early on, it was the stickers, man. Like those, so, so like how did really you leverage? Kind of... How did you leverage that back so they could connect you to the sticker? Did you kind of start just talking? I mean, how, I think it's fascinating that you did it that way. But how did you connect the dots for everybody? Like slowly trickle that out. Uh, eventually, people uh, asked enough questions to get the right answers. Then, uh, like there was nothing that we put out that said, "Hey, these stickers are ours." But once they had come across the brand and put two and two together and said, oh, this is profound. Then they understood the entire campaign and they're like, oh, wow, that's genius. That, that, that's a really well ex- executed it idea. Um, and not, not to call our own idea genius by any means, but in oh, retrospect. I, I did for um, you, so you're I good. Think the I real, the, 
No, I mean, like, in, in retrospect, the, I guess the, the, the different thing that we did was to not really, like, use typical advertising and not put any text on it and not explain what we were doing. I think, I think sort of, like, the, the mystique around it was, was that people didn't know what, what, what the heck it was. And, it like, you know, so it kind of led to them really, really wanting to find out. Um, and then, yeah, we, I remember, like, in terms of, like, the business actually becoming a business was the first time we got an order from... Uh, from Urban Outfitters uh, for one of our graphic t-shirts. And that's when like we saw our product for the first time in like a store like Urban Outfitters, which at the time was my favorite store as my, it's like the place that I love to shop in. Um, so in, in terms of like the accomplishments and the, um, the milestones, that was the first huge like milestone that we had. Uh, and then after that, like um, Nordstrom reached out and a couple other stores that saw how successful it was doing on Urban Outfitters, they started to reach out. And then, like, obviously, there's, like, a b bunch of, like, challenges and blunders that happen. Like, for our very, very first Urban Outfitters order, like, our printer messed it all up and we had to redo it. And it was late. And the buyer gave us a shot for the first time ever. And then we didn't perform how we should have performed because, like, the product was, like, the product was kind of, like, flawed in a sense. So, like, there's a lot of, like, goes for any entrepreneurial journey where um, you kind of learn through the mistakes. Um, and that's also like why I'm like more so now interested in mentorship because I, I, I want to help people to sort of like steer away from mistakes whatever, like my team and I have made every possible mistake in the game. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's good to find someone that's, uh, that helps like guide you through like the things to avoid. No, it, it, you know, it's interesting. You, you just, I mean, you know, your story, you lived your story, but for somebody that's just hearing your story for, for the first time. That kind oh, of bold risk taking, it, right. it's refreshing. It really, really is. I mean, it, it just fits from what I see today in 2021 and looking at your stuff and hearing some of the recent successes, man, you've been doing this since birth. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. What do you think your next chapter is? Because I see a pattern here. So, I mean, I'm excited for you, um, even though we just met of kind of what that next chapter <laughs> yeah, looks like. But what do you like think it, that next like chapter it. looks like? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm I'm am fascinated by anything design related. I love furniture. I love interior design. Uh, I love func functional design. Um, I love home building. My my I, I come from a family that was uh, in the construction industry. They built homes and restaurants, so I'm deeply passionate about that as well. Um, I love restaurants. Like I I love creating a an exceptional dining experience. Would you um, Would you ever uh... so. I was going to ask for us, would you ever, so having that design uh, background in your family, would you ever create a concept, a concept behind Profound, but maybe with a restaurant or some type of pop-up that has this entire experience that speaks Profound? Yeah, actually, we have a, a fairly large collaboration coming up with the, um, with the company that I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't mention the name yet, but... Uh, it is in the food industry. Uh, and then we also like in the past, in the past, I think two and a half years ago, we did a collaboration with Pepsi. Uh, so I, I always find it interesting and exciting uh, as a fashion brand, being able to work with companies and brands that are outside of fashion, uh, whether it's a beverage company or we did uh, a collaboration with, with Chainsmokers, which are a music group. Um, so I always like to sort of combine different industries and bring them together and often uh, unexpected ones. 
so and I and I think it's like it's 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 like traditional for a fashion company to collab with another fashion company. Uh, but when you do something that is of a different industry or a different genre, and then you're able to create the marriage of those two together and still make it make sense, but at the same time be very unpredictable, uh, that is a sweet spot that I'm super interested in. And going into the future, I want to create more collaborations around that. Um, so the majority of like last year, uh, during this this mask, this face mask era, uh, we spent a lot of time developing relationships and rebuilding relationships with stores. Uh, this year, we're spending a lot of our time and energy doing collaborations with the right partners. Uh, and that includes, um, you know, diving into footwear, which I'm super, super excited about. Uh, and diving into a few other companies which are unrelated to fashion, as I, as I mentioned. Um, so yeah, I'd like the next year, the next two years, I want to spend a lot of time finding the right partnerships and creating very exciting campaigns uh, around those partnerships. Um, so yeah, that's that's something that I'm very much looking forward to. That sounds exciting. I'm excited. Uh, I I hope um, I hope this. I know you can't mention it right now, but I hope this happens while I'm in the city because it sounds like yeah. something I'd like to experience, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Faraz, I know, I know we're running on time. Um, anything you'd like to say to our audience? Um, you know, I know there's a lot of young entrepreneurs out there that are probably listening and um, that have these ideas and maybe they haven't really executed on them, but what, anything you'd like, any advice you'd like to give the young entrepreneur <laughs> listening that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we're living in a, a time where, um, we sort of have to strike while the iron's hot and there's a, a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, with larger companies that are investing budgets and time and energy into entrepreneurs that have great ideas. Uh, I think we're also living in an interesting time of uh, inclusion uh, and multiculturalism. Uh, so, and I think if you have a skill set, a product, uh, a service, a story to tell. I think um, there's a tremendous amount of resources that could help you get it out there, whether it's just hopping on a clubhouse room or, or talking about your thing or whether it's like, you know, investing in creating content on social media and pitching it through Instagram. Find your outlet, find your category and go all in on it. Um, and that again, it's, it's whether you want to be a musician or, uh, or a fashion designer or a writer or an author. Um, I think there is a similar set of principles to each thing that you pursue. It's just number one, believing in your idea. Number two, uh, building the right relationships to, to help um, get that idea out. I think relationships for us have been sort of paramount uh, in like meeting the right people and, and, and having them develop a certain amount of faith in you and just like communicating your idea in a way where, where um, first you believe it enough to, to share it. And secondly, like you convince people that it, there's a reason for it to exist. Um, I also think there's a lot of like uh, cookie cutter um, uh, sort of like entrepreneurial hype that happens on social media nowadays where people make it seem a lot easier than it actually is. All and entrepreneurs I, are millionaires. I'm here they? to tell you that it's, it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like, like, yeah, uh, like these chats, these like groups on Clubhouse, like 
become a millionaire in like six days or something. It's like <laughs> there's Suck a lot up, of uh, <laughs> Suck me up. There, there's a there's a lot like like obviously like I mean we all we all know this because uh, you guys are we're in the same vein um, of entrepreneurialism. Uh, but yeah, you got to put in the work um, yep. and allow for like allow for yourself to enjoy the work um, is the best piece of advice I think I could give because there's work that feels like it's sort of daunting and it's, it's something that uh, you're intimidated to pursue and it just feels like work. And it's like, uh, it's, it's stuff that like, you know, if you have ADD, which I, I do have, it's like, I, it's the stuff that I try to like avoid at all costs. But then once I sort of like psychologically convince myself that this work is fun and it's enjoyable and it's impactful, then I'll start to view it as uh, something that like, I'll sort of trick my mind from turning something that's daunting into something that's super exciting and it, it usually works. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is just like these mental hurdles that we as people have to find our way around. Um, and once like we're able to understand what our challenges are mentally, then we could really perform and uh, we could put our best se- our best selves out there. Um, so yeah, just like, it's a super interesting time that we're in, man. Like it's, it's, it's like the best time to start something. And uh, there's, there's a wide open door for, for creatives and for entrepreneurs. Right on. Well, uh, Faraz, we certainly appreciate you coming on today. Um, I know you have a busy week. We're on Tuesday Tuesday of our week this week. Um, I know you have a busy week ahead of you. I don't want to hold you back too much, but I just want to thank you for coming on um, and giving us, you know, the insight that you've given us in terms of your personal life, of course, profound and where you guys are headed. Yeah, Faraz, thanks so much for your time. Excited to get to see what your next chapter looks like. A lot of exciting things it sounds like in the works. Yeah, thank you guys so much, man. It was awesome, uh, awesome chatting with you, gentlemen. Uh, hopefully, talk soon. Yeah, brother. I'll see you soon. I'll see you in the city. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Have a good one. All right, you too, Frost. Thanks again. Peace and love. Alrighty. All right, guys. So that concludes <laughs> our episode for today. Again, with Faraz. If you're not already following Faraz on. Um, on Instagram, if you type in Profound Company, you will see their page. If you go to their company website, if you just type this in Google, I'm not sure what the exact website is, but if you type in Profound Co., that website will come up. Um, follow them, look into them, their, their, their culture, their brand. They have a, a big message to kind of point across. Um, and I think, you know, as many people that, um, that we could get to, to know the company would be great. Um, that concludes our episode. Matt, you want to finish with anything? I'm good. This is always exciting. I love hearing these stories. Good deal. Uh, if you're not already following us on Instagram, go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Guru Presario Media. If you're on YouTube watching this, make sure you go back to the Spotify and the iTunes. Hit follow there, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next episode.